I'm thinking of my brother. Because my brother always tells me, my brother's name is Fernando. Uh, he always tells me, and I may have said this to you before, uh, when he says to me, Mario, I asked you what time it was. I did not ask you for the history of the development of the clock. The problem always, at least the problem that I have, is that religion has never really made sense to me unless I try to see it in the widest context possible. Because I'm constantly asking the question, why? Why? Why is it that way? Why does it have to be that way? And it really makes no sense until you understand the context of what's going on and why we're told to do something. And that's the, the approach that I'm taking today in the gospel. Jesus in the gospel today is asking us to do something that is, in terms of the world, totally counterintuitive. Totally counterintuitive. He, listen to this. And again, it, it, it defies, unless you knew something what's going on here, You've heard of it as say, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. What? Offer no resistance to one who is evil. Somebody strikes you on the right cheek, offer the other one. Somebody wants to go to your law over your tunic, offer your, uh, over your cloth, over your tu offer your tunic as well, your cloak as well. If somebody presses you into work one mile, go two miles. So at first, you, you, you've got to ask the question. What, are you crazy? Are, are you nuts over this? So why are you asking us that? And that's why I have to, I have to press against my little brother a little bit today. So why? Why does this makes sense and why what's Jesus trying to do let me take you back to the first reading in the first reading I think I, we can find the key and I'll put it the key in the context of the church's whole teaching here's the key speak to the whole Israelite community and tell them now he's speaking to all of us because we are the new Israel. And here's the, here's the key. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now at first you might say, so how's that the key? Here, here's the wide context. The word holy, most of you know that I am really stuck on etymologies. I'm constantly saying, why? What does that mean? What is exactly what you're trying to say? The word holy. The most interesting 
aspect of that word, and it can all mean set apart, but I'm going for the English word because I find the English word extremely interesting. Take the word holy, and in your mind, just spell it, H-O-L-Y. And you know kind of what it means. It means be like God. But now, in your mind, just put a W in front of the word. All of a sudden, what are you thinking of? Holy. All of a sudden, you've got the word whole. Whole. And if you want, if you want to say that is holy piece of bread with a W in front of it, you would be able to see a complete piece of bread. Whole. You see, the word holy comes from the word whole. Now, why would the word holy come from the word whole? What relationship could they possibly have to one another? And the relationship is smack dab in the middle of the church's teaching on original sin. Why? Because in original sin, the context of original sin is that we rejected to be who we were called to be. In the history of humanity, what you're dealing with is the fact that human beings, in some historical fashion, which the story of Adam and Eve tells us as a story, something happened in early human history in which we disconnected ourselves from the source of our very being. We disconnected ourselves from God. And so right now, we are not whole. We are not whole. We are broken. And since we're broken, we are not holy, whole. Now, what has that got to do then? Why, why does God immediately say, be holy? For I, your God, am holy. What, what already is beginning here in Leviticus is that God is approaching humankind in order to remake us whole, to re -under, reunite, remake us who we're supposed to be. That's the whole context. If you don't, it, it, Christianity does not make sense unless you begin to understand that the way that we are right now is not okay. That we are broken. That's what the church means by sin. It means that humanity is not made whole. It is broken. And the only way that humanity can be whole is if God reaches in and calls us forward because we cannot do it ourselves. So in that context is when God reaches in and begins to show us the path to being whole. 
He's not just going to erase it. He's coming to us as human beings, as people, as men and women who have freedom. And he is basically saying, do you wish to be whole? Do you wish to be what you were supposed to be? Now, you may not wish to be that. And you have to remember that what God is doing here is an instant of respect for you and for me. He is saying, I am not going to force you. Because if you are made in the image and likeness of love, love cannot be forced. If you want to be what you were supposed to be, which is an image and likeness of love, I will show you how to do it. There's an old, there's that old saying, if you want something done right, you do it yourself. And that's exactly what God did. He said, let me show you what I had in mind when I created humanity before you separated the relationship. I will show you. And so God becomes human to show us how it, what it means to be human. You know, I'm constantly saying to people, we call ourselves disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a student. If you're a student, what are you studying? Well, you're studying a class on how to be human. Why do we have to take a class to be human? Because we're disconnected from our original humanity and we have forgotten as a human race our, our origins. And so therefore, the moment you say, I am a Christian, what you're saying is, I have to learn how to reconnect with God and become the person I am called to be. I have to learn to be human. And Jesus came to show us that, and in order, in, in showing us that, to give us what we have always wanted, what, what we always wanted, a life that does not end, thus the resurrection. He, he say, look, I'm here to give you a chance to come home. I'm here to give you a chance to be who you were called to be forever. Now that you, that's the context, why the gospel today? Because the gospel today, Jesus is showing us part of what it means to say yes to being whole. What does it mean? Number, no, notice that God said, be holy like I am holy. In other words, you want to be whole? You got to be like me because that's what I am. Otherwise, if you want to be broken forever, that's the, uh, last week, the, the gospel, I mean, the first reading was wonderful. It said, God has put before you life and death. Whichever you choose shall be given to you. God doesn't send people to hell. You choose it by choosing not to be whole. So, be whole, E. And now Jesus starts. Why does he start? He starts because 
the Old Testament is not complete. It is not whole. We always remember that the that in the ancient world, the way that God revealed Himself, He did it slowly. He did it slowly, and people. The Bible is not like, for example, the Quran. The Quran, for example, in the Quran, Muslims believe that God spoke directly to the angel Gabriel, and the angel Gabriel gave exact God's word to Muhammad. And so when you have the Quran in Muslim theology, that is the word of God. The Quran, for example, is not equal to the Bible. What, what the Quran is, it's equal to the Eucharist. The Quran is, you know how in Christianity we have the incarnation. Well, in the, in the Quran, in, in Muslim theology, the Quran is the inlibration of God. God becomes a book. But for Christians, the word of the Lord, the Bible, is the history of the, it's not directly the word of God. It is the word of God through the word of man. Okay? And so you have to learn to see the development of the word of God from unclarity to greater clarity. Jesus is the clear, the clarity, the fundamental clarity. Let me give you an example that I, I like to use. Imagine that you have a little kid, say, six years old. And imagine that you tell this little kid, okay, uh, every, every year on your birthday, I want you to write a paragraph on what love means to you. And so this little child writes a paragraph every year on his birthday on what love means. And the kid grows up to be 96 years old. Now when the kid dies, you have this collection of 90 paragraphs on what love means. Now, you take all those individual paragraphs and you put them into a book. And now you're in a class studying the life of this little boy, of this old man now. And the professor gives you the book of the collection of 90 different paragraphs coming from the whole life of this person on what love is. And you're told, I want you to write an essay on the meaning of love for this person. And there you go. Now, as you face reading the book and you're about to write, you're about to write this essay, what part of the book do you give greater weight to? Do you give greater weight to this writing of a six-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 70-year-old, or a 96-year-old? Which part do you give greater authority to? Well, you give greater authority to the latter parts. Why? Because the six-year-old, you're going to see, has all kinds of mistakes. 
The six-year-old can say, love is when mommy gives me a chocolate cake for my birthday. And he goes on, you can go on and on. Love is, you know, my girlfriend, because she's beautiful. And you could go on and on and on, but you can get the development of the kid into a man, into the fullness of understanding. So that by the latter part of his life, he's clear, as opposed to the earlier part. That's the Old Testament. The Old Testament is God entering into relationship with the Jewish people, but they don't get it. So there's all kinds of, all kinds of stuff in the Old Testament that are not ready for prime time. Not ready for prime time. The moment, that's, that's why I tell people, you know, when people come to me and say, ah, Father, I have read the whole Bible. I go, oh, no. Well, don't do that. You're supposed to, the Bible has to be studied. Why? Because you're studying the development of the thought of a people in relationship with God in the same way that people is growing. You know, it's a, well, I get the biggest kick out of it because a lot of times in the Old Testament, for example, you may hear God say to, in, in say, Deuteronomy or Leviticus, he may say, for my sacrifice, you shall take a goat or you shall take a, a sheep and you shall sacrifice it to me and you shall burn the offering and it shall come up to me, burnt offering for your sins. Thus says the Lord. And then you open up and you turn the pages and then you go to Jeremiah and Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord, who asked you for these stupid sacrifices? They stink. All the, all the animals of the world are already mine. I don't need your sacrifice. I want your obedience. I want, <clears throat> I want you to be a, a follower of mine. And you want to say, well, wait a minute, Lord. Didn't you just say back here to do that? That's the point. The point is you got it when God was talking in baby talk to the ancient world and you're not progressing. Why am I saying this? Because Jesus, notice what Jesus does. Listen to, the, to, to Jesus' words. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, what's Jesus doing? He's correcting the Old Testament. He's correcting the Old Testament. You have heard it said, and that's in the Bible, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, now this is what's going to get him crucified. It's going to get him crucified. You know why? It would be like, imagine the same, if I were to say, you have heard that Jesus said X, Y, Z, and I would say, but I, Father Mario, tell you. And you would go, who the heck do you think you are? That's exactly how the ancient world heard it. The ancient Jews heard it. Jesus is correcting. Now, let's get into what does it mean? Because at first, when you read it, you go, whoa, what are you talking about? First of all, when the Old Testament says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it's not counseling, uh, vengeance, and fighting. It's actually limitation. What it's saying is, 
If your brother, for example, knocks out one of your teeth, you can't go and murder his family in revenge. Okay? It's actually limiting the violence that you can do to your brother. So if you do this to me, I can do this to you. But it has to be limited. It cannot be over, over the top. And so an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, limited violence. But what's Jesus saying? Then he says, but I say to you, and then he says, offer no resistance to the one who is evil. Now at first you go, what? What? Think about this, because I had to really struggle with this one. Why does he use the word resist? Are we not supposed to resist evil? Yes and no. Depends on that word. Always remember that the, the, that the New Testament is written in Greek. And the translation, any of you like, I know Spanish. and it, I, Boy, I tell you, sometimes when you're talking in Spanish and translating it in English, it's not the same thing. It's got a different sense. The word resist is the key. I looked up the etymology of the word resist in English. Re, of course, means again. Redo anything, re, repaint, rewrite is again. Sist, statistance, it, it says it's either to make um, or to push, uh, to stand, to make, to push. So what is Jesus saying? He is saying, do not remake. Offer no remaking. Now what does that, what is remaking evil? It means, it means, typical thing. Have you ever heard a little kid getting two little kids having a fight? And you try to stop it. And one of the little kids says, well, he started it. What is that hap what's happening with that? Notice what one little kid did to the other. The kid started it, and I'm going to remake what he's done. I'm copying what he did to me. I'm doing it to him. That's what Jesus means, do not resist evil. Meaning, don't copy what's been done to you. So do not take vengeance. Do not give it back. And how many times don't we ever hear that from, from ourselves and other, other people? Boy, if you do that to me, you're going to get it right back. That's exactly what we do, okay? Or they, if they are, the, you ask people, why were you gross? Why, why were you horrible, horrible? Or why were you so uncouth? Well, they did it to me. I'm going to give it back to them. It's seen as tough in our society. It's seen that way. So what's Jesus telling you? He's saying, no, no. Why? Because when you do that, what you're doing is you're imitating the conduct of evil. Instead of, remember what the purpose of, of, of Christianity is. For you to be holy means for you to be like God. Be holy like I am holy. God is saying to you, you're not supposed to imitate other people. You're supposed to imitate me. 
That's why Jesus became human, so that you imitate Jesus and not imitate the actions of other people towards you. And so that's why Jesus says at the very end, he, he says, uh, even to love your enemies, why? Because I, when, when you have an enemy, the n normal thing to do is, well, I hate you too. Notice what you're doing. You are replicating the hatred that's been given to you. The whole point of being a Christian is to replicate not the conduct of a fallen world, but to replicate the conduct of God. That's the whole point. And so now listen to this. Now you listen to the rest of it. But I say to you, uh, well, up here, he, when he says, uh, an eye for an eye of truth, but I say to you, offer no resistance. Remember what that means. It means don't redo it again. Don't No vengeance to one who is evil. If somebody strikes you on your right cheek, what would we do? Uh, you struck me, well, you pow, I get it back to you, right? Jesus is saying, no, if somebody does that to you, give him the other one. Don't, don't imitate that. Uh, if somebody uh, goes to court, you want this, is that bad? Take it. What's Jesus saying in all of this? Folks, he's not saying not that we are supposed to live in a world of total pacifism. If you were in a world of total pacifism, you couldn't even call the police. Okay? Because the moment that any, all you're doing by calling the police is delegating violence. Because they're coming and they have guns. Okay? You're, all you're saying is, well, I'm not going to shoot, but you can go ahead and shoot in my name. Right? And so we're, he's not counseling that. We, Christians have a right and a duty towards self-defense and the defense of another. We, what we cannot do is vengeance, to replicate evil. You can try to stop a, a person who is doing evil, but you don't stop them by doing evil yourself. You try to stop the evil, not replicate it. You know, I, I say this to soldiers and to policemen all the time. I say to them, make sure that you love what you are defending much more than your anger at who you are stopping or your hatred for the criminal. Your love for the people you are protecting must be much greater than the, criminal, the hatred for the, or the anger to, towards the criminal you are, that you are stopping. You have to do it out of love. And there are some police officers and some military and some people who love the violence. But that's exactly what we're not supposed to do. And that's why Jesus says, even, it's, he says later on, he says, you have heard it said, uh, you shall love your enemy. What does that mean? Am I supposed to feel love? That's not what Jesus means. The word love there is an act of the will. Remember what love is in the New Testament. In the New Testament, love is not feelings. Love is a decision to care for the good of another. That's what it is. So if you have an enemy, you cannot give in to your desire to hate them. You, 
you, you don't have to stand there and, be, and treat, be treated like a doormat and stepped all over, but you cannot replicate the hate. Because when you replicate the head, hate, you add. There's a Gandhi once said, if we follow the old eye for an eye, he said, yes, of course, you could do an eye for an eye until the whole world is blind. Okay? Because we're all going to keep poking each other's eyes out in revenge. And that's what Jesus is saying not to do. And so, at the end, when Jesus says, so be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, what does he mean by that? He means be whole as your heavenly Father is whole. Be holy as your heavenly Father, perfectly holy. Why? Because that's the point of being a Christian, to restore your humanity so that your humanity is back at its original level when God created us. That's the whole point. And so the gospel today only makes sense when you understand that the overall goal is the restoration of you and me so that we can be men and women the way God intended us to be. Because there is no other way. If we choose to be who we are today, broken, the ultimate, the ultimate destiny is not the kingdom of God. Because you can't, the only thing that the kingdom of God accepts are whole e people. Because that's what it means. You can't be broken, too, intentionally broken, and enter into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus today is showing us one way by not replicating anger and vengeance, but by being like God. Do not imitate what people do to you. You imitate the way God deals with us. He lets his sun shine on the just and the unjust. He lets the rain come down on the wicked and the just. We have to do the same thing. We cannot, we cannot imitate humans. We can only imitate God. Oh, made a mistake. You can imitate a human that is imitating God. Okay? That's why St. Paul says, imitate me as I am imitating Christ. You can imitate the saints. Why do you think the church offers us saints? To say, see this example? Here's another example. Here's another example and another example. So that you can learn to imitate the way God wants you to be and not the fallen world. God bless you.